Ooh, I've been mentioned. <laughs> mm. Oh, in a lawsuit. Been in a lawsuit. Shut up. <laughs> I'm here all week. Try to feel. <laughs> Make sure you tip those bartenders and servers. They're working hard for you. Show them some love, will you? I am digging the new music. Um, this is what I democratically voted for, so I or think it's awesome. I took part in democracy. Some other people didn't. I didn't. No. Couldn't be bothered. Can't be bothered. That's <laughs> <laughs> how so we do. So we do. That's white privilege for you right there. Let's bring uh, is up that, uh, yeah. the man of the hour. Sweet swashwoom. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the BIM podcast. This is the podcast where we take the week's news and we just chuck it in the bin and we see what comes out of it. And I am here with my usual pod mates um, to my... This side. <laughs> uh, my boy, Jartan Reed. Jartan, say hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and our ever-present super producer, Mikey Famine. What's Pres- going on, son? President and accounted for, sir. How is everybody? I'm great. I feel I feel I feel amazing. I had a uh, a good breakfast of water. And I'm doing the show. I'm going to start drinking with you guys. And I didn't wreck any snowmobiles. So, all in all, a good no, day. Do you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't wreck any snowmobiles. Hmm. Do we know? Shart, Shartan, do you know anybody? Funny. Do you know anybody Funny. who, I don't know, wrecked any snowmobiles lately? Yeah, that happened. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. please explain. So... There was a ditch. And on the other side of the ditch, there was... Um, Piece of rock and uh, tree and yeah, so I got stuck between the rock and the tree and the tree. Uh, yeah. it, it didn't go well. How like I'm glad you're okay, obviously. Um, yeah, but well, I'm, I'm dubious about that. But the but the bike or the the snowmobile did not survive. Is what I'm getting. Oh yeah yeah yeah, it's alright. Yeah yeah, it's fine. You've, it's good. I thought you broke yeah, it. Yeah, a few bumps and bru- a few bumps and bruises. Those things are made out of you know pure steel, dude. Like it's only plastic, and then everything is like covered with you know roll bars and shit. Um, so it's basically a Volvo. It's yeah, it's a Volvo <laughs> on tracks, basically. Good luck breaking uh, that. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was seriously standing in like a seventy degree angle, lodged between. A piece of mountain and a tree, and the entire track was down in a ditch, and there was only water down there. So it took us about forty minutes to get it out. Uh, Excellent. Uh, so, Mikey, what, what have you been up to? Top that. Um, it's been snowing. Wow, that's it's just and it won't stop. It started snowing this morning. And I was like, oh, isn't that pretty? Go the fuck away. <laughs> I don't love you anymore. Yeah, we, we, we had it for three days and it was just gone. So thank God for that. But um, <laughs> well, we, had, we had a very special time yesterday. It was our eldest daughter's birthday. 
She was six years old yesterday, our little Sienna. Where the fuck has the time gone? She was like in your arms when yeah. we met. And she was just sitting there just <laughs> sleeping. He's like, there she is. I, I, can't, I can't say much. The baby's asleep. And now look at her. She's running around. Imagine a- sitting on here on pre-show saying, so Mikey, I'm going to be a podcaster and scientist. I goes where I goes. <laughs> yeah, so, so what, happy birthday, uh, Sienna. What are we doing today? Doing anything special? Um, oh, I think, I think we may have a guest. Do tell. Um, Mikey, would you like to swish wash room? Hey, there it is. It's oh, Professor oh, How. Hello, Wayne. Hello, mate. You all right? <laughs> I'm fine, buddy. What a pleasure. Lockdown Welcome. science. Welcome back to the BIM podcast. This is your two-time, two-time appearance. You have to do it that yes. time. So for the, for the uninitiated, Hal, shall I um, let the people know who you are? I'd like that. Thank you so much, buddy. I bet you would. I bet you would. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Professor Hal Sosoboski. Um, and Professor Hal has a BSc, a PhD, an MBA, an MA, a PG, DIP, CPE, Law, CCHEM, FRSC, FHEA. I have no idea what any of them mean, but I know that I ain't got any of that. And what he told us earlier, he's also got a huge D-I-C-K. <laughs> <laughs> what have you heard? Who told you? Wow. <laughs> already. already. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't take long. Right, so let me let me let me introduce our guest properly, please. So Professor Howe holds the chair in the public understanding of science at the University of Brighton. He was the first scientist ever to be allowed to do an explosive demonstration in the House of Commons in 2011 and in 2015. Unlike Guido Fawkes, Professor Howe's explosives did work. Hmm. <laughs> I can't believe put that in. You should have seen the look on the faces of the police at the gate of the House of Commons. He has been at the University of Brighton for 25 years. 25 years? Seriously? Yes, buddy. This year is my 25th year, and they wrote to me today about my long service award. Wow. So, Oh, your long service award. Oh, We're going back there. Clean it up, Wayne. <laughs> clean it up. Oh, Jartan started this. Um, he has an international reputation for performing high-end exhibition science in the UK, annually in Moscow and all over Russia, and Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and all over Europe. He has a wide spectrum of science on television appearances, including children's television, where he co-presented the lab on ITV's Ministry of Mayhem, BBC's Bright Sparks, on which he had his own science slot. He has also appeared on mainstream science programmes, such as BBC Four's uh, Volatile History of Chemistry, BBC Two's Rocket Science, National Geographic's The Mystery Files, BBC's History Cold Case, and BBC Science Britannia. He is the... He's a man Brian Cox asked for chemistry advice. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like Brian Cox. Well, me and him bumped heads, actually. More about that later, if I may. Yes, definitely. We'll, 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 we'll stick a fork in that. We'll uh, come back to that. He appeared twice with Professor Jim Al-Khalili in Chemistry, a Volatile History, and, the science, and science in the Golden Age. The, the search for the Philosopher's Stone on Al Jazeera's. 
He is a resident science boffin, how I hate that expression in parentheses, um, for several local radio stations, Radio 4's Broadcasting House and ITV's Meridian News. And of course, he is a patron saint of Mystery Hour, unlike the doppelganger Wayne Lynch, who would like <laughs> to think he is. Why did we give wow. him the soundboard? It's Why? funny because it's true. <laughs> he is, was the science consultant for Big Brother, Endemol TV, Only Fools and Horses, I didn't know that, Endemol TV, Adventure Island, RDF TV, and Science Changed My Life, Outline Production. He also consults for the Science Museum Live, Brainiac Live Show, and has an international reputation for running live science events. He was a science consultant for CBBC, twice at BAFTA award-winning program, Operation Ouch, and most recently was Dr. Howe on the relaunch of ITV's How, How. which for those that don't know is a, um, uh, how will you describe How? It's, it's, it's like a, a magazine program, and originally it was, it's very evocative, because when we were young, well, sorry, when I was young, it was... Um, presented by Fred Dynich, Jack Hargreaves, and um, Bunty James. And it was like, for example, they'd say, how does an egg go all the way through a veal ham and egg pie? And Fred Dynich would demonstrate it. The format's a little bit different, um, but it was things like, how does a rocket fly? And um, we'd then demonstrate it. And occasionally in the program, they'd say, well, we, we can't do this demo in the studio, but we know a person who can. And they get on the red phone and they go, Dr. Howe, <laughs> and then I'd come up with a telephone box, um, not unlike the other doctor, and um, do the demo. So I loved it. Really was nice to be part of something that I'd admired when I was um, a little boy. Ah, oh, awesome. And now you're slumming it with us uh, deplorables. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We've moved up in the world, I guess. Or he's gone down. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, well, it's... <laughs> Lockdown Britain, so we got to, <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. Twenty <laughs> p is twenty p. Exactly. So, how what's what's been up for you recently, man? You all right? No, I'm all right. It's been a very for. I had COVID in January, which was um. Oh no. There's nothing like experiencing it from for yourself, and I have to say that to anyone who says it's just like the flu, it's not. It's vile. It's a ghastly, ghastly disease, and we need to get in front of it. For me. It was 10 of the gloomiest days in bed I've ever spent. And um, I literally spent all day in bed. Uh, I came down for an hour or two and then went back up. So we need to stay on top of it and get in front of it. And um, together we'll beat it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to take it seriously is the message. Um, but before that, um, we had a new way of teaching at the university. I actually feel that generally students are getting a raw deal. It's paying nine and a half grand to sit in front of a computer is not okay. So I said to the boss, I'm doing my lectures face to face, which meant, and I'm not virtue signaling at all. Instead of giving one lecture, I had to give the same lecture five times. So I was forgetting all the jokes I told and all the stories, but the students appreciated it. And I think as a higher education society, we could and should be doing more. Um, because the students are isolated, they're alone, sometimes they're vulnerable, but they need their learning experience. It's not just about the lectures, it's about the sense of community and fellowship, which they just can't get. So that's the soapbox moment dealt with. So I'm doing my 20, lectures. 20, 25 years at the University of Brighton, right? That's, that's a long time. 
but how did you actually get into science because it's, it's it's very niche and to be doing it for the period of time that you're doing it and diversifying it you know with your law and all the other um accolades um how did you get into it like what what prompted you well, to get into it? very very interestingly um i was a very average student at school and i went and did a degree because i it was the one i like i disliked the least i did a phd because I couldn't really think of anything else I wanted to do. And I did that by teaching in a school two days a week. And then I did some uniform service. And by stunning chance, um, I um, was offered a lectureship at the University of Natal in Durban, South Africa, just before the elections. So I spent a very, very interesting couple of years um, in South Africa teaching um, the black students chemistry at the medical school. And I say that for a reason because later on you're going to ask me of how I got into exhibition science and it's all related to that. But um, somewhere down the line, I decided to come back to the UK and I was passing someone in a corridor in the building, someone who I didn't really like and he didn't like me, but he stopped and said, I noticed on a forum, there's a one year lectureship at the University of Brighton. You could apply for it. And I did. And to my astonishment, I got it. It was on to cover someone's leave. And that was 25 years ago. And I just was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to get rapid promotion. And because um, <clears throat> I'm a plodder, buddy. I mean, I, I, I teach first year and foundation really well because I understand exactly why the students don't get it because I didn't get it. I'm not one of these professors who does these genius things in the lab. And that weakness sometimes becomes a strength because I can explain science. And I'm usually I've got my chair in public understanding of science because I can engage the public because I need to find the same strategies to explain it that I did to learn it. So I'm a lucky guy. I get paid to do what I really like doing. So oh, it was almost by chance. The thing was when I was teach, when I was an average student, I didn't get it. You know, I bumped along and I struggled, but only when I started teaching it in South Africa and relearning it, I thought actually this is quite interesting. And um, so in that regard, I peaked very late. But what I was know. it? But what was it that sort of like triggered you into sort of like saying, actually, I really like doing this? Was there like was there like an, a, an epiphany moment or something that well, snapped in you and you went, oh, actually, no, this is this is awesome. Um, when I was um, applying at university, I applied for biology first time round, and then I just remember a, a, a lecture where a, a guy called Jerry Cottle, who didn't run a circus, as it happens, he taught me something that I'd never understood and I understood it. And I thought, this is the one for me. And I engaged with chemistry. And um, I mean, I struggled a lot of it because I didn't have any maths, I didn't do A-level maths. But um, in my late twenties, when I started teaching it after a break, because I was in um, the uniform services, then I got it and I started teaching it in South Africa. And um, because I was teaching concepts I'd found a struggle, I was teaching it to students who were under-equipped and they, they struggled. So I started using spectacle. I started getting my technician, my postgrad student to bring demonstrations because sometimes a demonstration can cover a multitude of concepts. Right. And the thing was that worked, but also she was Russian. And I'm going to do a Russian accent only because oh, there was a bit comedy. <laughs> no, no, sometimes <laughs> I'll get complaints about it and it'll be anti-right, but it wasn't. 
sometimes a demo wouldn't work and she would say it's not my fault it's your fault not my fault and i'd say no it was your fault and we'd sort of bicker amongst ourselves but somehow breach the fourth wall and it was funny and so somewhere down the line i thought well actually if you do science and it make it funny the half-life lasts longer and the science shows i've been doing for 25 years you know internationally they work. I mean, anyone can do the science and anyone can make jokes, but we can do the science standing on our head and make it funny and laugh. At, I mean, they laugh at us, you know, middle aged fat blokes trying to be cool and with it, you know, in the hood. And um, <laughs> they think it's funny and it works and it works internationally as well. Word. You see? <laughs> You're laughing now. Don't, <laughs> laughing don't, with don't, me, don't, not at me, right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm right. sorry. If I could take it away from him, I would. We are going to let Hal do what he does best. Teach people who know nothing about science. Science. Excellent. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to jump off and I'll be back in a secret little room in about uh, three or four minutes. Or two. <coughs> Kitchen. <laughs> I'm still in Florida, mate. Come on. Just... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jartan is on his soundstage in Florida Orlando where they uh, filmed studios. the moon landings. Orlando Studio Sweden edition. And okay. simply, go on. Uh, simply Secular wants to know what time it is on Mars right now, uh, short time, because that's where it is. Come on, get in your little, get in your little cage there, get your little beakers. Mm -hmm. This is going to fail tremendously, and I have never been more excited to watch one of my friends um, set themselves on um, fire. I'm so, I'm so happy. <laughs> it's like yeah. my birthday. You, I know it's the end of it, but it's like yeah, my birthday too. No. Jartan, mate, keep your hands off my test tubes, please. <laughs> yeah, hands on oh, your no, own tubes. He's going to be mate. milking them like this. <laughs> mate, it's, it's carry-on chemistry, isn't it? <laughs> carry chemistry. It is carry-on chemistry on the BIN podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we roll. Oh, here we go. No, we need a, we need a slide whistle. Oh, oh thankfully, oh. he's not near his, uh, his soundboard here. There seems to be some fire going on. Well, this is this is going to be great. Have you got your safety glasses on, Jartan, buddy. No, he's going in bareback. Look at him. No, no, safety his... glasses. We, we, we discussed this. Hey, you got high vis trousers on. Hey, hey, you, hey, you. Where's your safety glasses? And your gloves, like as we discussed in the risk assessment. I think. Well, I, I think don't. He's getting that ready. I don't know if he can hear us. Yeah, he can't hear us yet. No, I don't I think he's got. Hear yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll make fun of him he's, when he's ready. He, he's just set a fire in his kitchen and walked away. <laughs> yeah. Can we have the merest passing nod to health and safety and zero loss of life or life-changing injury, please? Oh, if no, at no, all no, possible. No, no we're, try, we're trying to pop ratings right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get that virality on, going. On <laughs> well, that's, what, that's why we got you on, to add an air of credibility, Hal. <laughs> Well, at least if he, if he blows himself up, we won't have to deal with those stupid rim shots all, every 13 seconds. So there's that. Yeah. And he won't have to pay him either. Pay, pay him? <laughs> what? What kind of outfit you think we're running over here? This is a bit for care in the community with him. Someone's just texted me. My good friend has just texted me. Your Russian accent is Italian. <laughs> just one cornetto. Is, it is. 
It was for it's a very it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> really? <laughs> now that now that you've said it, I can't unhear it. <laughs> Maybe it's like the south south southwest side of Russia, also known as Italy. <laughs> the, only, the only way to do Russian properly is if he dies, he dies. <laughs> That's it. That's what I say to you on routinely. On that. <laughs> Are you quoting Rocky IV at me? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Did I, how did I ever tell you? The only time I've ever been to Russia, um, we went to Red Square, uh, me and a uh, friend of the show, Scott Robinson, and uh, they had like this festival going on in Red Square, and it was proper hot, like really, really hot. We weren't expecting it at all. And um, they had this like boxing tournament going on. They had like football uh, tournaments, uh, boxing tournaments, and have a little displays going on and between the rounds in uh this boxing tournament they were playing music from rocky four <laughs> this is obscene it's just slightly inappropriate i was like do you remember what happens in that well, i can change you can change well, i can change <laughs> the funny thing about i mean i do shows in russia every year and i have done for 10 years i love it it's my favorite gig all right russian folks they just absolutely love it but um because a lot of russians speak english whenever we do a joke um they laugh then the translator translates it they laugh all over again so it's double bubble each time how did um how did that come about the the russian gigs well the funny thing was i got um uh i'm just trying to avoid doing a russian accent i got a phone call Please from do. a lady called no i got a phone call from a lady called olga and of she said, um, and our fellow dimitri yeah, yeah, no, it was Olga, and she said, um, "We've heard all about. We've heard all about you." No, that's that's Swedish accent. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was just shitting said, the bed all over the place. Here. <laughs> so what happened was, she said, "We'd like you to come to the All Russia Festival of Science. We'll, we'll pay for your air ticket. Um, we'll put you up, and we'll pay you an honorarium." And I, I, I talked to my science homies. And said, "What's the worst that can happen if we don't get paid or reimbursed? Um, we've still got a, a trip to Russia." And because they were sending us our air tickets, at, at the worst thing, we'd kind of come out of it having gone to Russia, and and we did. We went there, and um, it was perfect. it was absolutely perfect. And then the thing was that um, the first couple of times we were kind of not so much tolerated, but um, we just went along as a normal thing. Now, when I go, I get um, I'll get treated like an absolute prince, you know, big hugs and um, the best room. And um, they we had a problem with some regulators last time, and the director of security had rolled his sleeves up with his mate, and they were trying to help us. So it's one of, it's the one it's one of the most hospitable countries in the world, and um, it's an absolute delight. I love it. What did I say that was wrong? No, no I, <laughs> look at look at each other. Was, <laughs> put your safety glasses on, buddy. Bit of gentleman's protection, please. Thank you. He's got oh, <laughs> But why did he get nice, elegant safety glasses and he's got <laughs> <laughs> This is already gold. <sighs> All right, are we ready for this? What am I doing? Oh, this is so perfect. So as per your instructions, Hal, I've got warm water, 
uh, empty beer can, heat and cold water. What am I doing? Right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to demonstrate the crushing power of the atmosphere. And we're going to show that it's not pressure that crushes things or explodes them. It's differences in pressure. So what you're going to do is you're going to heat a can up on the fire with some water in it. And the water is going to turn to steam. And the steam is going to displace all the air. Okay? So um, there'll be nothing in the can but steam, which is the gas form of water. And then you're going to put the can into some cold water and all the steam will turn back into liquid water, which takes up much less space. And that means there's a vacuum inside the can and outside the can, you've got 101 kilopascals of atmospheric pressure. The can should do something quite interesting, but I don't want to give the money shot away. So um, we'll just see what it is. But you have to boil the can for a good five minutes as we discussed. And I hope it's been sitting there boiling for a long time. It has, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was got boiling water in that, so it's just standing there now. No, but the, the water's got to boil with some heat underneath it for five or six so minutes. We've got to... All right. Uh, it, it's uh, one minute on your website, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but it's boiling. It's boiling. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> on your website. Talk amongst Look, yourselves. <laughs> Complaints department's closed. Live anyway, science. I'll just fill in that awkward gap. So uh, it's not. Is vibrating. Is it, is it supposed to vibrate? Is there steam coming out of it yet? Yes. Quite well, a just lot. Leave, well, just look, leave it there for the time being, and I'll I'll interject with some interesting facts about pressure. So, for example, if you um, <laughs> sorry. I don't think I have, have you got the gardening gloves we just oh you have got the gardening gloves right okay anyway so if you for example go diving and you go to 10 meters you get double the atmospheric pressure around you and if you go to 20 meters you get two atmospheres of pressure which means when you come up you have to breathe out all the time because the air in your lungs will be expanding similarly when you go into space there's no pressure around you whatsoever, but you've got pressure inside your lungs. So if you went out of an airlock without the benefit of a spacesuit, technically you would explode because there's gas in your lungs, but no gas outside to push the other way. So what we're doing is we're doing a reverse space experiment. We're going to make a vacuum in a can and the pressure outside it versus the pressure within it will be a no contest. How's it going, bud? It's vibrating. It's still like this. Okay, so don't let, no, don't set your beard on fire, buddy. Oh, actually, could you? No, no, please, please do. <laughs> that was the, again. We're trying to pop ratings. That was what. That was the bingo square that I'm counting on. That's the one I need. Beard set on fire. <laughs> All right. So, right, so how long has it been boiling? Three minutes, maybe. Okay, and there's definitely steam coming out of it because I can't see any yeah, steam. Yeah, dude, it's, it's it's the whole cat is fucking vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> but is there steam coming out of the top of the can he's asking? Yes, it's right, okay. Now, right, okay. Now here's what you're gonna do. We're gonna cool down. So now the can's full of steam, all right? Now steam is a gas, it's pushed out all the air, and gases occupy much more space than liquids. So in a minute, you're gonna take the can out, you're gonna quickly invert it and put it in the cold water. And that means the steam inside the can will turn back into a liquid, which occupies far less space. So there'll be a vacuum in the can 
and it will have the atmospheric pressure around it. And so something interesting is going to happen. Are you taking the piss out of my Magnus Pike impression? No, no, we're telling him to invert it. I mean, turn make, it upside down. Yeah, make sure you flip it upside down. Don't just drop it in there. Yeah, exactly. You have to flip it upside down. All right, let's try that Shut now. Up. Off you go, buddy. <laughs> what? Fuck it up. <laughs> now hold it up. You see what happens? Inside, there was zero pressure. Outside, there was 101,000 pascals of pressure. The can completely collapsed. Yay! Socket, I got some science right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the state of this geezer. Take me off screen so I can clean this shit up and get back to the camera. Put the can closer to the camera so we can see the can, please. And on that bombshell, back to the studio. No, that's perfect. There was no sleight of hand. That was literally the atmosphere squashing the can because there was no pressure on the inside. Brilliant. And on that note, back to the studio. Yay! Meanwhile. <laughs> Anyways, could be worse. <laughs> wow. That was brilliant. I like that. That was fun for me. Yeah, 100%. And, um, no, it was. That's a, and the thing is, um, I do that um, with um, a huge industrial oil can on a much oh, bigger wow. scale. Really? And those things are bad boys. You might have seen it on How, actually. I did. And the same thing works. It collapses explosively. It's really, really a lovely, lovely item. Jartan, <laughs> um, put the fire out. Put the fire out. Uh, can we just can quick get rid of Jartan? Jartan, <laughs> so you're pretty on fire, buddy. I know. I'm trying to find the thing. Oh, there it is. I found it. So. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, put your hand in the fire. That's right. <laughs> wow. Oh, I was just, I'm, I'm just like slowly looked down. I was like, why is he ablaze? All of a sudden? <laughs> just see him running out of blaze diving into the snow. <laughs> He'd probably just light a cigarette off of his house that is fully engulfed in flames. Yeah. Anyway, back to the science. So that was the uh, explosive collapsing power of atmospheric pressure um, demonstrated by Jartan. Oh, that Lovely. was awesome, man. Thank you. Uh, and and how? Um, that, that experiment that you just, well, Jartan just demonstrated, um, he received instruction from you. Where can anyone else find these instructions? Uh, I love the way you did it in that sort of Simpsons-like voice. Where can anyone else find? <laughs> Quite astonishing coincidence. On my most, ex <laughs> on my most excellent website, drhal.co.uk, um, there's a little tab on the front page, experiments you can do at home. And um, they're completely without, naturally without cost. There's 20 demonstrations that can be done in the, the home. Um, they're good for children, as long as there's parental supervision, and the collapsing can is one of them, for example. There's lots of really lovely learning outcomes, all risk assessed, naturally, and um, they will provide a, a method, a, a learning outcome, but also it's the questions that they ask. So I'd recommend any of the viewers to um, have a little look and make a selection, because um, there's, um, there's a lot of nice science going on there.
We like nice science. Nice science is always a a good one. I have not laughed so that do we, hard. Do we do we do we have now. any um anything else come up later? A little teasers. I am properly scared now. <laughs> <laughs> like my heart is still like going. <laughs> Well, there was there was there was a a second experiment that um, we had to drop um, because someone is a dick. Um, but... Because my local store don't have <clears throat> what I need. <laughs> what lighting? Yeah, how difficult could it be? Go to the shop, buy a cabbage, boil cabbage, use the liquid. That, In okay. Scandinavia. That's why I'm a professor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they have vegetables <laughs> up there. <laughs> wow. You probably got some uh, fermented shark. <laughs> yeah, can I substitute the cabbage for for like shark penis? I have tons of that. <laughs> oh. yeah. Here. We thought we got rid of this. We thought we got rid of this. Oh. So, <clears throat> how did you have a, a substitute um, experiment? Well, the whole point was I was going to steal your thunder because did you really think I was going to come on your show? and not do some lockdown science. No, 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 sir. That's one thing I don't allow. So what I wanted to do was just have a, a, the shortest of mini lectures um, with some learning outcomes. And I want to talk about thermodynamics. Thermodynamics is all about heat moving from place to place. And that's the whole basis for chemistry and chemical reactions is things going from a high energy state to a lower energy state. They want to lose energy. Now, I'm going to get... A little bit more intimate that, and turn that, the lights off. En entropy. It is partly entropy. Big molecules turning to little molecules. Now, you can see this blowtorch. It's one of my top five favourite blowtorches. You can see... <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> oh, this is called Hogan. This Hogan the blowtorch. <laughs> no, mate, and I... Uh, there's so much material concerning the word blow, isn't there? Shall we? Yeah. Who's going to do it then? No, no, no. Come on. Jartan, wind your neck in. Wind your neck in, Jartan. I was laughing because Hogan is just such a great name for a blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no, stop. I didn't see you put anyway. gloves on. I was like, is something going on with his hands? Is it the light? That's how professional he is. He got those done quick. Hello. Right. Anyway, back to the science, fellows. So Hogan is currently burning butane gas, and um, it's giving out two forms of energy. Hogan's giving out heat energy and light energy. The light energy you can see, and the heat energy I'd feel if I put my fingers in it, and I know you'd love that. Now, most reactions give out heat and light. A few give out heat only, and a very, very few give out light only. And that's what I'm gonna do. And as I keep on tirelessly saying, I've got the biggest test tubes in Brighton, and here they are. They're far <laughs> bigger than Wayne's test tube. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna show you a demonstration that so gives out light right only. <laughs> yeah, this is the science of jellyfish and glowworms and fireflies. <laughs> and what happens is, can you see that? Oh. <laughs> this is called chemiluminescence, and um, it is the fundamental which under which glow sticks are made. But these are called oxalate esters, and oxalate esters, nature has decided that they can only give out light 
and not heat. And they're used in things like sugar factory. Mine <laughs> is clearly bigger than yours. Give it up. The Wayne. glow sticks also. <laughs> Same for the glow stick, buddy. <laughs> so the, the point right. is that um, these are used by divers. They're used in places where there's no flames allowed, like curiously sugar factories. You're not oh. to have flames in sugar factories and um, oil refineries. So that's quite a sweet demo. You can see even in light, you can see it's yeah. glowing there quite beautifully. So uh, fireflies, glowworms, jellyfish, phosphorescence in the sea. It's when nature has decided that a chemical reaction will give out light and not heat because it's just another form of energy. So that's my little demo that I was going to sandbag with you. But luckily, because someone can't could cabbage, collect your P45 <laughs> after the show, Jartan. I bought my own glow stick. No, no, it is. It, and it is. It's, that's, what you, that's what's used in glow sticks. When you deploy a glow stick, what you're doing is you're breaking a little glass file inside the glow stick and allowing two chemicals to mix together. One's called hydrogen peroxide and one's called oxalate esters. Why couldn't I do yeah. something, you know, like that instead of something that's... <laughs> because you can't buy hydrogen peroxide at that level, otherwise you'd be a terrorist. Yeah, and also it requires a degree of competence and the ability to follow instructions. Which, uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. You can't. You can't even buy cabbage, man. Jesus. <laughs> Funny enough, um, the reason you, <coughs> Wayne's hit on a brilliant point. The reason you can't take um, liquids or gels onto aeroplanes is precisely for that reason, because um, there was a vogue for potentially liquid explosives being used. I'm not going to say what all of the components were, but one was hydrogen peroxide, which is just hair bleach. You can go to mm -hmm. Boots or wherever and buy hair bleach. And the other, the other um, component you need, you could also find it in a fairly straightforward way in the high street. And that's why um, they got onto it. And you're not allowed to take gels or liquids on airplanes. Yeah, or chapati flour. Well, that's a slightly different. That's because of surface area. That's the same thing as I mentioned in... Um, sugar factories, chapati yeah. flour is very finely divided carbohydrate. So if it's in a dust um, and there's a flame, it'll be explosive. So you know when you um, sand your wooden floor, that big bag of sawdust is really, really dangerous. If you throw that onto a flame, it will explode because it's got lots and lots of surface area. So that's all about kinetics, how fast reactions happen and whether they happen at all. Is you see, I love it when it's like, huh? Is that why MDF is banned? Something like that, yeah. Oh, that's, there were some chemicals in that. But this is why I love a science plan coming together, because we go where the lecture takes us. Yeah. No, because I, I remember um, we we had uh, a new bathroom unit fitted, um, and my my girlfriend's dad was cutting it up out on the landing, and the council came around and said, oh, can't touch that, or oh, it's MDF, MDF fibres. I went, time out, time MDF out, fibers. time out, time out. What's MDF? Medium density fiberboard. Right. Oh, okay. Can I explain? Yeah. Um, as you might recall, in the 50s and the 60s, when Wayne was no more than a thought in his dad's head. Don't you was, um, with it, me. Oh, you, you, you've been at uni for 25 years. So don't even fucking come in with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he called you young, you absolutely fucking um, Asbestos. Yes. Asbestos is um, it's a, it's a mineral which was used as an insulator. And the reason that will cause um, uh, my epithelioma is it's literally 
if you imagine breaking some fiberboard, you get those little, those little needle-like um, structures. With asbestos, they are so sharp, they're like needles which will actually stab the DNA. And that's why you have to breathe wow. in one fiber and you can get um, mesotheli mesothelioma. And what's why it's so dangerous? Because it, the needles are so sharp, they literally can be um, come to an apex, which is a few atoms across, and it will actually stab your DNA, causing um, mutations. And I was stunned when I read that. It's where the, the, the macro becomes the micro. And I so it's MDF, it sounds like the same. No, little stabby, little stabby fibers, mate. They get into I, your alveoli, they can wreak havoc. I have, a, I have a, a, an acquaintance that works um, at the local uh, recycling facility. And he said the same thing is now true of broken polystyrene. Yep. And that's why um, polystyrene is not taken by most uh, refuse collectors or dumps or anything like that. It's treated the same as asbestos, MDF. Because when you break it up, and you know when like, someone gets polystyrene and just starts scratching it together like that, yeah. all those fibres, they disperse into the air and they can get into your lungs. And because of the nature of them, they can't be seen or detected. So when they x-ray you, they, they see the, the globules of moisture building up in your lungs but they don't know what's causing it. Whereas the other like MDF or asbestos, they can they can see the, the formation because it's a natural fiber. Whereas polystyrene being a, uh, an oil byproduct, they can't see it. They can't, and they don't understand why it does that. I mean, any, really any the thing about polystyrene, it really is the herpes. It's the herpes of the material science world because up until recently, I know herpes. Polystyrene is either high density or low density. Low density is just normal plastic. Sorry, high density is normal plastic. Low density, they blow a gas through it to make yeah. the polystyrene that your meat's packed in. And um, they were CFCs. So every time you absentmindedly broke a cup into pieces, you were releasing CFCs. But it's, it, it just doesn't break down, and it blows around the place. It really is horrible. They need what's to find this, sustainable alternatives How? to polystyrene because it's still one of the most ubiquitous and difficult to dispose of forms of plastic. No, but how? What's a CFC? What does uh, it Chlorofluorocarbon. During the noughties and the 1990s, we started getting worried about the hole above the um, ozone layer because mm. CFCs, chlorofluorocarbon, they were destroying ozone. And ozone, it's the smell of dodgem cars. It, was, it stops the UV light getting to us. And it was found in the back of fridges. Yep. Um, in deodorants. You know when you used to spray on deodorants? Yeah, you know I, deodorant remember, I, I remember Cap Captain Planet. Captain Planet okay, no, literally, It was the propellant and deodorants, and these gases yeah. were going up into the stratosphere and breaking down the ozone layer. And now we use roll-on deodorants and we use alternatives to CFCs, but it's still, it's still not quite fixed, but it's getting there. So there we are. All right. Dang. Um, is it time for our <clears throat> next experiment? Uh, that is well, the coolest. We're, we're, we're too deep. Should we, should we go for the third now? Yes, I think Zartan's been riding our back all evening, and it's time we got payback now. <laughs> uh, all right. All right, go uh, to the uh, guinea pig I'll, room. I'll uh, go back to the secret spot in my house now. <laughs> We're in the bathroom. All right, Mikey, you click it. I didn't push anything. Yeah, that there was... There we go. I'm just blaming me on the spot. I didn't do anything. Um, and while he's going over to his uh, man lab um, next door to James May, 
Um, I will be Brenna. <laughs> Brenna had to work today, so she couldn't come oh, okay. out. She couldn't come out and play with us. But let me scoot my cell phone over and pretend to be Brenna. Swish wash woo. Um, hi guys. What you're going to do is go to our Patreon so I don't have to read stuff. No. <laughs> She's gonna kill me. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna edit that part out. <laughs> <coughs> um, but thank you for everybody who has um been part of our Patreon family. Um, and I will read y'all's nameses now. Uh Utah Outcast, Dig on America, LeClaire Vert, Ragabash Dabbler. Elena, Divine Disbelief, Susan, Janamiu, Chicken Anonymous, Bum Bum Bum, Barbara, Tons of Mice, Ricky Scurvy, Miss Nana, David McGinnis, Katarina, Stuart, Austin, Mrs. Famine, and Richard. So thank you everybody for your lovely contributions. We love you guys so much. Thank and, you. And more stuff to come. And we have um, probably oh, what is he doing now? Probably before next week's show, uh, those new perks for existing members will be uh, updated. So you guys can look forward to that stuff. And on that bombshell, back to the lab. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> This is just so great. This is a good thing. Hilarious. Oh. <laughs> I, just, I just want there to be something where Jartan just blows his entire face off. I'm, if That'd he could be just, great. If he could just be missing one half of his beard, so then he was forced to cut the other part, I think that would be good. Mm. Like How, if, if you want to put in a disclaimer here to exonerate yourself from any responsibility <laughs> for anything that happens to Jartan, go ahead. <laughs> Well, so, we had this, didn't we? In, in our finely worded contract, I sort of said, you knew the risks before you started it. So it's kind of, it goes wrong. It's kind of your fault. Yeah. Again, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, not a That's what it comes down to. That didn't even sound remotely Italian. Exactly. <laughs> Was he a Frenchman then? So, you, uh, hold up. Do you know how many times I've seen Rocky for? He's like Once? a pit of iron. <laughs> You know, I've I don't think I've ever finished an entire Rocky movie. Dude, it's like eighty minutes long. I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. <laughs> they're awful movies. You guys all know they're awful, but you just like them anyway. Oh, the the, the soundtrack to Rocky Four is quintessentially the best soundtrack of all eighties movies. That and Top Gun. I haven't seen Top Gun all the way through. Oh. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, those sorts of films don't appeal to me. They don't, they don't speak to me. I, was I don't in, know who, I don't know who you are anymore. I mean, I was born in 87, first of all. So, <laughs> so I wasn't. 87? Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a young guy. Yeah, he could, he could have been one of your students, Hal. Most definitely. Most definitely. I, I, I would have learned a lot more from him than, um. So, um, I'm the football coach. I'm going to teach you chemistry. So what you got to do is, and then he would just literally like try to coach us through chemistry. It was, and I also had my wisdom teeth out. So they put me on Vicodin. That was way too strong. I have no, I had no idea what that man was talking about. I had to go back and what, watch YouTube. What is, 
as as we have the benefit of a actual an actual scientist here, what is Vicodin? Um, it is a very strong painkiller. But how does it, how does it work in the process of suppressing pain? It makes me feel really good. I'm asking how, not you, because oh. you don't know shit. Well, well, there's there's various mechanisms for. I'm glad you asked me this actually. Um, there's various mechanisms for pain relief, but broadly, you can um, divide anesthesia into general anesthetics and local anesthetics. General anesthetics, like halothane, um, they affect your brain and they actually migrate into your brain, so you just go through various levels of narcosis. Local anesthetics, like the ones you have in the dentist, like lidocaine, uh, procaine, and benzocaine they actually interfere with the nerves that carry the pain signals. So when you have a filling in the dentist, the procaine or the lidocaine um, stops the nerve working, which is why your whole jaw goes quite numb. And ironically, this is a very interesting facet of medicines that lots of drugs have two completely different effects. So cocaine, for example, is a narcotic and a euphoric, all right? It has that effect when people misuse cocaine, but it's a perfectly adequate local anesthetic and in fact it used to be sold um as little drops for toothache heroin for yeah. example and no it did no 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 I heard, I heard that yeah and because because um, coca-cola was originally with cocaine yeah in 1859 john pemberton developed coca-cola the cola was the cola nut which gives it its flavor and the coca was cocaine and they still use decocainized cocaine leaves to make it <laughs> Um, heroin, for example, um, is an analgesic. It's diacetylmorphine, but also it's an antitussive agent. It stops you coughing. And codeine, that's why codeine that's related to heroin um, is found in lots and lots of cough medicines. Very, very interesting um, how medicines often have two completely different effects. So pain relief works by a variety of mechanisms. And what they broadly what it does is it either stops you feeling the pain at your brain or stops the pain message getting from whatever's hurting. And there's, um, there's a lot of relationships between um, heroin and what's the um, the heroin substitute that they use? Methadone. Methadone. They're, yes. they're both opioids. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Now, what happens is methadone, all it does is it occupies the binding sites where the heroin would go. So you can't take your heroin because it won't do anything. And it's got a much longer half-life. It lasts much longer. Um, and morphine. Morphine's a funny thing because it comes, morphine's actually from the opium poppy. When you squash up the opium poppy, you get some alkaloids out and it's named after Morpheus. Who was Morpheus? Not the bloke out of the Matrix. Damn it. Yeah, no, that wasn't the bloke off the Matrix. I was going there. Was... The, the god of sleep. So not Michael Morpheus. Not Michael Morpheus. Not Morpheus from the Matrix. We're not talking about the X-Men either. God of sleep. No, we're not talking about Marvel or DC. We're talking about the Greek god of the Roman god of sleep. Yes, the, the, but, that, the but, that, but, but that actually, now you said that, that makes sense as to why. AKA the, the Sandman, right? The Sandman. Yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and it was found during the Crimean War. The Crimean War was a really horrible war. And just around that time, it was found that um, opium, or sorry, um, morphine, um, was an analgesic. It, it stopped pain. You know, it's Florence Nightingale times. And so you had a nation of um, morphine addicts. You, you had the opium houses. Yeah, you had the opium oh, houses yeah. and... Um, the quote-unquote I mean, milk of the poppy. Yeah. 
And more darkly, if I may, Harold, I mean, diacetyl morphine, which is heroin, diamorphine, that's used in palliative care. When someone's at the end of life and they've got some terrible, painful disease, they'll be given medicinal heroin to ease their pain. Mm. And that's what Harold Shipman used when he murdered all his patients. He just gave them overdoses of diacetyl morphine. So it has a, an ethical use, even if it's a, a very sad and uh, dark use. I have Sorry. a question. Yes. So at the, it's a two-part question. The, the, the first part will be, um, you mentioned the, uh, the, the codeine. I was going to ask about hydrocodone, but also what um, some of the things that, because of the industry that I was in for so long, we were selling uh, the kratom plant and the various strains of kratom for people who had opioid addictions and people who were trying to get themselves away from the opioid addiction because the kratom plant binds to those same receptors. Yeah. And uh, we found out they were used, they've been using this for like centuries in Thailand, like the people who are working in the fields because of the amount of pain that they're in. Yes. Um, because of working in those fields, you know, sometimes 20 hours a day. No, it's the funny thing about it is um, we, we sort of Western society thinks we're at the forefront of medicines. But when I was in South Africa working, um, there was a natural products group. And what they would do is they'd go and see the Sangoma, the witch doctor in the local village, and say, okay, which plant do you use for, let's say, headaches? I'm making it up. And they'd say that plant over there. And they'd take that plant over there into the lab. They'd boil it up with a load of different solvents. And nine times out of 10, they would find some new compound in, which lo and behold, was an anti-inflammatory or some sort of analgesic. So, I mean, medicine's been going on for thousands and thousands of years and as you've wisely pointed out lots of these traditional medicines have a lot of their effects based on facts and um we used to find it out all the time it is fascinating um i mean morphine i mean it's been going on for you know the chinese were using it you know a thousand years ago you know they had the opium wars and such like it just it started being used industrially around the crimean war and such like i have a, I have a question with regards to ingesting um pain relief or any other kind of uh yeah. medicine how, how do we know how it is um distributed specifically to certain areas like if you're feeling pain a certain thing will suppress a uh, a pain receptor or you know any other medicine where it would be like a like a lozenge it will help with your uh your respiratory system like how how do we know and how does it target specific areas because right. i know there's a lot of like, roll on like pain reliefs and things like that now yeah yeah well broadly um you sort of divide your painkillers into ones that stop the pain being felt by the brain or stop it being felt at the point of pain and um in when a target compound is identified um somewhat um and again we don't have to get into the big head bumping about um animal experimentation but that's exactly what happens it's given to animals and then they are sacrificed and then the the partition the distribution of the drug is measured by analysis afterwards um but it also depends if things are very lipophilic which means soluble in fats they're going to your brain so mm. heroin for example is just morphine that's been made more fat soluble and it crosses the blood brain barrier faster and the difference okay. between crack cocaine and cocaine hydrochloride is one is more fat soluble than the other. So crack cocaine crosses into your brain much, much faster. Who's doing who's who's doing Zs? Oh, uh, that'd be the guinea pig. I think he's waiting. 
British wine. Oh my goodness, my my professorial knowledge, and it's okay. Anyway, so it's fat solubility. Oh, the floor is yours, and if he wouldn't be saying it if I had my my blowtorch in front of him, would he? No. We had Hogan there. We had Hogan there. You'd be sitting on the floor for like ten minutes waiting for you guys. Look at that little table. Do you need that from Sienna? No, unlike you, dude, I don't steal from kids. <laughs> All right. I bought this. <laughs> why, oh, do, why does it have horns on it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Hal, could you explain the experiment that we're that about? That is a child's to, uh... table. My daughter has the exact same table, and I built it, but it's... It's uh, it's got ours is painted. Yours is uh, old school, I should say. All right. So, how if you could explain um the process of what Jartan is about to do to show what's about to happen. Okay. So we'll explain the science after. Okay. So what Jartan's got? He's got a carbonated drink. Now, the drink, any fizzy drink, has got. Is, is what we call a supersaturated solution of carbon dioxide. It's got lots and lots of carbon dioxide dissolved in the liquid, which is why when you put it on your mouth, you can feel it fizzing against your tongue. And what he's going to put in is some sweeties of unknown origin, but hopefully with rough edges on it or rough uh, texture. And that's going to fall into the bottle and we'll see what happens and we'll explain the science after because I don't want to give anyone's thunder away. Jartan, Jartan. So what's going to happen is there's a cup. Wait for it. There's a card separating the sweets from the liquid. In a minute, Jartan is going to pull that away, and the sweets are going to fall into the liquid, and anything could happen. All right, Jartan, I'm going to give you a countdown, okay? Hey, you got, your safety, you got your safety glasses on? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool, cool. All right, so five, four, three, two, one, go. Shit, what? <laughs> <laughs> learn, yeah. now, that is a money shot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. All over his boat. <laughs> Fucking hell. Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> Tons of mice clip that. <laughs> Live that. That's what you get for being Jartan. A pain uh, in the ass and no coke in your can. And on that note, back to the studio. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, Hal, thank you so much for allowing us to uh, now, humiliate our pod mate. Well, hang on, we haven't had the science. Yes, let's go. Right. So what happened was, right. So I told you that the, um, the, um, the liquid is a supersaturated solution of carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide doesn't want to be dissolved and it will find any excuse to come out. So what happened was the sweets went in and the rough edges of the sweets, they act as what we call nucleation sites. It's like when you're drinking champagne and you see the bubbles coming from the side of the glass, there's a little scratch there where the CO2 can come out of solution. Now, if you drop all those sweets into the soda, all the carbon dioxide comes out all at once and it causes a massive pressure in the bottle which then gives you that big money shot of um soda so is and that why they put is that why they put the um the rough edges on the bottom of pint glasses 
That's so they don't um, slide across the table. No, no, nah, not bottom, really. Bottom, it's... No, at the bottom of a pint glass, you have like a little circle of dots where you see the bubbles forming and, and coming up. Is that the maybe, buddy? Oh. But it's more—it's more like when you put. Um, if you put some soda in your mouth and you sort of gargle with it, it'll all sort of froth up because on your um, taste buds, those are rough edges where the carbon dioxide yeah. can fall out. Let me out give you an solution. example. Example. Two seconds. It's the same as the bends. That's why when divers come up from deep um, depths, they get carbon dioxide formed in their blood vessels for the same reason. Right. So on the bottom of my Stella glass, you see the little bubble things there at the bottom? Okay. Oh yes. Oh, uh, let me let me move you over. Well, that could be. No, yeah. no, I get that. That that's exactly what it could be. Yeah. So when you always see bubbles just popping off of that. Yeah. So but it it's um it being more lively. It's literally when you put it when you put soda in your mouth, you put soda in your mouth. Um, it sort of gets <coughs> fizzy in your mouth because for that same reason. Oh, well, this is. This has been massively Look at this. Look at this. Oh, brilliant. Oh. Oh. Be- I'm going to watch this episode again tomorrow because this is funny. <laughs> this is. Oh. All this has the, been superb. All the jokes so have been not, paid back. Not to switch away from what Ooh. exactly you're doing. Oh, that mic. Since we're talking Ooh, about science your mic, things your mic, right now. Your mic. Fix your mic first, and then come back. What, it, why, what is it doing? It's making a horrible Scratchy. scratchy noise. Is it doing it now? Yeah. No, it's fine now. Okay. Um, so what are we going to expect, if, you, if this is your area, what are we going to expect about the rover that's landing on Mars today? The thing about um, all space travel or is um, sometimes it doesn't work. There's lots of failures about landing on Mars. And um, I think we get overexcited about Mars because they found some scraps of water um, on a recent um, landing. Um, please take this the right way. There is life on Earth because Earth is in what we call the Goldilocks zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, faster, harder. Um, Fill your boots. He's like a, a, he's like a flash man. commercial, isn't he? A really um, bad one. So we, there's life on Earth because we, we're in the Goldilocks zone, which is means Earth is not too hot and not too cold to have liquid water. You cannot have life without liquid water. It has to be in the liquid mm-hmm. form. So... Um, any planet closer to the sun is, is going to be a gas form. It's no good. Any planet further, it's going to be an ice form. And Mars is just too far away. So the fact that you found some water, I suppose it's quite interesting. It, but it, I, it, it, I it's such a stretch between having life. There is no life on Mars. Never has no, been and never no, will no, be. No, 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 no. So change um, my mind. Uh, um, another, another friend of the show, Landon, um, explain to us why we could never colonize Mars. Because the atmosphere is so thin that any water that was produced on there would eventually just evaporate away. Mm-hmm. And, and haven't um, you seen Total Recall, mate? The original Total Recall. Yeah. No, no, but... but totally but, fact. Good we, we, um, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful, Hal, but we had another scientist on here. <gasps> Another one? You've yeah. been with him, haven't you? You yeah. were to him. You were supposed to tell him. <laughs> he, he was so gentle. 
You're going to set him off and he's going to get Hogan and Randy Savage's other blowtorch. <laughs> he's got Ricky Steinbuck. That's, that's, that's Ric Flair. Ric right, Flair. Hey, somebody else is doing this shit. Um, no, Mike, Mikey, tell, tell how who our, who our other scientist is. Oh, he's talking about Landon Kurtnoll, um, who's an astronomer and mathematician. Um, one of the most inter- you guys would get on well. Al. You yeah. guys would definitely get on well. We need to get them both on and just like step back and we would just sit there and get I, popcorn. I told Landon that all we have to do is just reignite the core of Mars. Easy. <laughs> um, and then we'd get that uh, magnetic uh, protection and we'd be fine. And then our water wouldn't go away so quickly. <laughs> the solar wind wouldn't take it away. Have you been watching Aliens again? Maybe. Terraforming. I, I just. Why not? I'm just saying the easiest thing to do is to kick off the core first and then try to terraform it. it w- That's but, not an easy accomplishment, Mike. I'm just saying, but Professor Hal, can you attest that if we could kickstart, I'm not saying it's possible, but if we could, that would make the whole terraforming process at least doable. If we did it, a five-hour show about this, and you're still talking about if it. There, if it had some sort of molten core still, we'd be able to do that, right? Maybe. Possibly. Man, that planet is dead, bro. No, because it's too far from the sun. That planet is dead, and it's not in the Goldilocks zone. You that need liquid close. water, buddy. But, but he, all right, so for once... It's I so cold. It's like negative 250 degrees Fahrenheit there at all times. No, that's it not true. I, uh, for once, I, I have a theory that I think holds water. And let's see what Hal says, right? Unlike, unlike Mars. <laughs> so, the universe is infinitely big with infinite many planets within that Goldilocks chunks, right? Sorry, it's negative 180 degrees. It's here. not infinitely big, anyway. Yeah, but... For... Jean-Tan, listen to the professor. It's very Everything big. Everything finite. Right? Gigantic. But... The chance of, because what, we've had nuclear capability for 70, 80 years. Uh, we've Honey. traveled to the world for, uh, traveled to uh, to the moon, what is it, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, 60, 69. So that would be almost 80 years. 69 is not almost 80 years ago, dude. Uh, oh, well, you said years, right, we're talking years. about we're talking about general space travel in that area. This is yeah, early sixties. Under that time, we yes, have all, yeah, but under that time, we have almost self-eradicated dozens of times. The chance that another civilization will reach a space age, so to speak, an interstellar travel in this vast universe, and their time to do so will collide with our time to do the same thing is not very probable. So there might have been civilizations before us on different planets. There might be, uh, there should be after us, but that we will exist in the same space in the same time as, you know, the probability is so minuscule, it's ridiculous. (coughs) No, the, the thing that I'm going to disagree with you there, Jartan, because you're using our evolution as a benchmark for your start point of time and space. 
No, 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 no. I'm saying before us, there might have been civilizations who reached a space age. Mm -hmm. After we have eradicated ourselves through, I don't know, climate change or nuclear disaster or just, you know, a pandemic, um, we there might be a different civilization in the galaxy far, far away. Who let, reads me from, from, let me who borrow from science fiction age. here, okay? But so. th that we that we in our timeline, where we have space capabilities, will reach another civilization who also have space capabilities within the same space and the same time is to me is almost ridiculous. I I will borrow from science fiction here, and we'll go to our our famous non friend, whose name is uh Frieza. Okay, Frieza said it best. Expert. You guys are a group of genetic freaks, monkeys, that gained consciousness, and you think that your petty achievements can come up to anything that's been existing for far longer than you. Do you realize that the, the universe itself is so many billions of years old that we would never, we would never, ever, ever be able to encounter something that, and our, our physical limitations are the, are the main problem. As, as the type of creatures that we are, our physical limitations would stop it from happening before anything else. So I'm gonna leave it at that. We've done, like I said, we did this show already. Hmm. Yeah. But, what you've oh. just described, gentlemen, is the Fermi paradox. Mm -hmm. Oh, hello. Fermi was a very famous um, scientist. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. For the Fermi paradox says, if there are X million galaxies with X million planets across the universe that could support life, and you narrow it down to the number that you could, he said, where is everyone? So there either is intelligent life or there isn't. And then Einstein piped up and says, either of those probabilities is just as um, frightening. So we're still in that paradox, is that, um, you know, what's it, what's it all for? The universe is 14 billion years old, but who put the singularity there? If you could catch up with the frontier of the universe and accelerate... Um, what are you accelerating what into? Would you do, what would you do then? Well, exactly. Why, why, you cross what about the boundary. Don't, don't, there's one more thing that, about that paradox that I liked, and that was the, uh, the, the, uh, the snow globe situation, or the zoo, as I like to call it. And uh, that's the one that frightens me the most, is that this is, this is a, the reason why no one's contacted us is because we're a zoo for them, and they watch us. <laughs> that's um, the one that frightens me the most. And, and this, Justin, we have breaking news Perseverance has landed on the surface of Mars safely. That good, thing is huge. Good job, it's about team. The size of a room. You mm -hmm. know. Good job. Right, and, good job. And on that, on that bombshell, this is a great way to end. So, final words to you, Hal. Thank you so much for being our guest. Get your final words statement in. Tell us where where we can find you. Where people love can watching find you all the you. time, Hal. You're great. No, um, we need to fix what COVID has done. We need to get back out there, do the science, feel the science love, and do the practical demos. So start doing them at home, boys and girls. 
uh, go to the website, drhal.co.uk. There's lots of experiments to try at home and um, do it. And then let's get back to school, get back to the learning, and um, we can fix this real quick. And where can people find you on the old uh, socials? Um, I'm at Professor Hal on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, which is, um, I know the young folks don't tend to use Facebook. So yeah, Facebook and Twitter are the two main things. Thank you so much for joining us, Hal. Um, I know it's a bit of a kerfuffle to get this all sorted, but um, no, really, really appreciate you coming on for your second time. Third time you get a hat-trick ball. Um, I don't know how we're going to sort that out, but yeah, <laughs> it'd be awesome. Next time there's a big explosion in Lebanon, we'll give you a shout. Okay, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, no, no. Um, so this, everyone everyone sign out. Um, Jartan, um, as you are covered in Coca-Cola, how are you doing? <laughs> Change my shirt. I do have to take a bit of a shower and change my pants because they're soaking <laughs> wet. Mikey. Um, after show coming up soon, and we will have Jenna and Justin from the If Was podcast hanging out with us. If you awesome. guys are patrons, and if you guys are patrons and you guys want to jump in, the link is, will be posted on Patreon. Cortez. Nothing. Yes. Oh, um, I, I, I thought you were just saying my name for fun. Um, thank, no. Thanks, everybody, for always coming through. Professor Howe, I love uh, what stuff you post and things you say all the time. Um, I love talking to you science people that were able to uh, go to school and do stuff with it. You know, um, I love gleaming from uh, from you guys and being able to bounce stuff off of you because, you know, um, I had my studies interrupted and I had to do a lot of individual and, you know, just me and, you know, the sources that I could find to find things out and i love i love being able to uh to hear what you truly educated folk uh say well when when i throw these things at you it's always a, it's a privilege and an honor so thank you wayne wrap privilege it up. is mine buddy thank you awesome um professor Howe, thank you again for coming on um for jartan for cortez for brenna for mikey um and for me this has been the BIM Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next Thursday live, whatever time zone you're in. And don't put sweets in Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so surprised you're just now finding this out, but it's great. I love this about you. Uh, just all fucking my genetics in. <laughs>